0: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to
1: supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you Hello and welcome to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. I'm John Norman in Auckland, New Zealand, where the cool winds of autumnal change are starting to blow through for this week's programme, which has a true collective feel to it. With the world coming to terms with huge day-to-day challenges, putting this show together has been a podcast in itself. So huge credit to Steve Harmison and producer Scott Taylor for getting us this far, and what a programme it promises to be. One that starts out in Durham, England, and ends in Auckland, New Zealand. As coming up, Big Steve is in conversation with Durham Chief Exec Tim Bostock, Director of Cricket, Marcus North, and first team coach James Franklin. And then we head back here to New Zealand where lockdown's also been announced and a chat with top NZ cricket journo, Andrew Alderson. Don't go anywhere for the next hour, folks, as we bring you the Cricket Collective, starting with that man, Steve Harmison.
3: I was hoping to have this conversation with Tim Bostock, Marcus North, James Franklin in the boardroom of Durham County Cricket Club overlooking the, the castle talking about my my great club and you know what's happening with uh, with Durham County Cricket Club and I'm delighted that Tim Bostock, chair, uh, the chief executive of uh, Durham County Cricket Club joins us now and Tim with what's happened to the club over the last few years um and the fantastic work that's been done in the club in the last couple of years you know, to get us back on our feet and going forward. Uh, has this put us back to square
0: one? Uh, afternoon, Steve. Um Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, sorry you couldn't make it. Um, obviously, uh, times are a bit tricky for everybody at the moment, to say the least. Um, yeah, listen, just um, answering your question. Well, no, it's not put us back to square one, to be honest. I think if this had happened... This time last year, I think we would have been um, in a much more stressful position financially. Um, fortunately, um, there's been a huge amount of really, really good work in getting our finances back on track um, over this last 12-15 month period, and therefore we're in a we're in a stable position. Um, you know, when I look around at, at, at some of the other counties and some of the larger counties, I think they ironically, um, are in a much more tricky position. The reason for that is that um, they've got businesses that rely on income outside of ECB regular monthly funding. Um, and, and particularly, I can think of Lancashire and Warwickshire and Yorkshire. Um, the Aegeus Rose Bowl, who've got hotels and big conference facilities, they've borrowed heavily against those. They've got fantastic businesses. They've done the right thing. They've diversified their income so that, they can um, survive without ECB income. But what that has meant is that they've been giving an example for argument's sake. Their income might be 70% diversification income in, in events, conferences, hotels, 30% ECB. Well, of course, that 70% has fallen off the edge of a cliff through no fault of their own. Everybody's cancelled. Obviously, the hotels are closed. And therefore, that is a major challenge because whilst they've lost that revenue, they're also carrying all the costs for those businesses as well. Whereas... Uh, a club like Durham um, and some of the other um, sort of middling counties, if you like, financially, a larger percentage of our income comes from the guaranteed ECB income as a result of the new television deal. And therefore, um, we are much less exposed um, uh, because of that. And therefore, we can cut our cloth accordingly. Uh, we know what comes in every month and we know what goes out every month. So, yeah, I can confidently say that... that um, what's coming in is a lot more um or or more than what's going out, which I think for anybody, whether they're um paying their mortgage or their bills, household bills, anybody who's listening, I think that's a um it's obviously a good position to be in. So um we're very thankful that we've got ourselves in a much better position, um, as I say. Still difficult times.
3: Yeah, that's fantastic to hear. Somebody from, from somebody like me as well. So, that, that, how much that club means to me, and you know what sort of, you know, the decisions that, you know, the big decisions have you have you had to make as a chief exec. You've mentioned other counties, um, but you know, as as Durham's chief exec, because we, you know, we. The county of Durham is a historically, is a fantastic place. You know, the, the university, you know, everything that goes with it. Um, but it's not the most sort of affluent area. It's not financially. It's not the you know the, the the richest area in the country. So you know, as chief exec, what sort of decisions have you had to make to make sure the club is in the right foot and four? Hopefully, when we get back on track.
0: Well, the the good news is on that in terms of our staff, and that includes obviously all of the players, um, all of the um, coaches, um, all of the people that work in the academy, all of our youth workers, our foundation, the Durham Cricket Board, and then obviously the backroom staff here, Financials, Marketing Commercial, um, Riverside Events, who run all our events. Um, the good news on that is that we absolutely are in a position whereby we don't need to lay anybody off. Brilliant. Um, and we don't need to reduce anybody's salaries. And uh, You know, we as an executive, and that includes the board and the senior leadership team, had a meeting last week, went through the numbers, um, and we have taken the decision that we know we've got extremely loyal people that work at Durham. I mean, I know more than most, having only been up here for just less than two years, but obviously I'm a northerner myself, not as far north as you guys, but I know how much community means. I know what the north's like, and I know that people stick together and we look after our own. And I think that is what we decided to do, rather than take the option of reducing uh, headcount and, and making savings, we took a view that um, we would support because we understand that, that a lot of the people that work for us, a lot of the players are extremely worried, extremely stressed. They've got mortgages. Um, they've not got a whole lot of cash to splash around. and They make the very best and the most of what they've got and therefore we think it's important for us to support them because the, we will get through this. Um, the game will get through it. The country will get through it. And then when we do get through it, I think the opportunity for real growth and upside after that will come. And and to be able to take advantage of that, you need your best people with you and you need your loyal people with you. So we show loyalty to our people now and they'll show loyalty back to us when that time comes and it will come, Steve, I'm, I'm sure of that.
3: Yeah, I've got no doubt it will come, and it's you know, and 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 that's great to hear from, especially for young players' point of view, Tim. Because you know, the the, the role of the PCA is fantastic. You know yourself, you know, yeah. I, you know, the, you have the meeting at the start of every year, and they do look after some young players. But you know, there's this players in the game, and it, it's like all sports. It's you know, football the same. You know, the, the top end look after themselves, but the bottom end it is very much dog eat dog world. And and I'm sure from a club's point of view that the younger players are getting you know, a good information and well looked after from the club but also from the PCA
0: yeah they are PCA have been brilliant as, as you would imagine I mean over the years they've become sort of bigger and stronger if you like and they've got a more powerful voice which is absolutely right um, um yeah and we do have the very nature of our squad as you know we've got a lot of youngsters yeah. um and uh, you know they're not earning a, a great deal of money but they've started to take on as you do you, take, you start to take on commitments whether it's buying your first house or starting to rent and moving in with girlfriends or whatever it might be you suddenly start to you know you're on your path it's your career path if you like and therefore the last thing you need then is suddenly think wow um, all that disappears or something disappears overnight and what, what do we do now I mean being a professional sports person a pretty it can be a fragile existence anyway um, you, you know you, you're one bad season away from worrying about your future so there are different stresses involved so as much as we possibly can, um, and, and that's why, you know, we're we're going to support all of our staff, and obviously the younger players, uh, uh, particularly, um, we've got to look out for because uh, obviously nobody's been through something like this, but a few have been through financial uh, crashes in the in, in, in the in the sort of 2008 era, but some of our youngsters have not been through any of that at all. So um, it's extremely important we look after them.
3: And I'm sure you've been talking to a lot of other CEOs and the ECB about when the cricket starts again. Uh, has there been any difference in opinion about what to prioritise? Because there has been talk. To, I seen Michael Atherton on TV talking about it the other day. And, you know, is it the 100? Is it the blast? Is it county cricket? You know, do counties have different priorities because of the size of the counties? Or is everybody on the same sort of hymn sheet that you know we want to try and get the best possible outcome for when we do start playing cricket again?
0: Yeah, listen. The, the good news is we're all on the same we're all on the same uh, path in terms of what the priorities are, uh, and that includes the ECB as well. Which that must you know, be for all, once, is it? It not <laughs> always been the case. Um, but on, on this one, and, and this is very, very much necessity because of, um, as you would know, working in the media, talk sport with Sky. It's the broadcasters um, that need the content. They're desperate for content. So it's pretty clear that international cricket comes first, which includes test matches and the T20s and the one-day internationals. Uh, And then after that, it's the Blast and the 100, um, which that's where the revenue is. I mean, the Blast obviously is the revenue earner for all of the counties, um, no matter what size they are. So protecting that is really important. Protecting the 100 is important, obviously, because that that was the competition that obviously drove the big media deal. Um, Although... Um, you know, in the conversations that I've had, and certainly with with, with the ecB, you know if the, if it gets squeezed right the way through to the end, you know if it ends up being a two month season um which is possible like an August September season, I think a view will be taken about is this really the right time to launch yeah. um the hundred? And you know, I think from my perspective, I think the ECB Tom uh, Harrison has been really pragmatic about this, and um you know I certainly get the impression if we end up with a two month season. I I I think the pragmatic view would be you know what what's the point of launching this mm-hmm. competition now let's launch it properly next year um so I think I think um I think we're all on the same page if it's a four month season there's lots of county cricket in the schedule that I've seen if it's a three month season there's plenty of county cricket as well so we're all absolutely committed to county cricket but the first three cabs off the rank have got to be those competitions that I mentioned and only if we get to a two month season will county cricket um be a problem i.e. there probably won't be any but certainly in the schedules i've seen steve uh in a four-month schedule and a three-month schedule there's plenty of county cricket and enough county cricket to have a meaningful county championship which i think would be great news um for our members i mean i've had more than a couple of emails and letters uh, complaining about the fact that um we seem to be prioritising the ECB prioritising those other comps, but there's a, there's an absolute financial imperative for that, and at this time more than any, I'm afraid they have to take they have to take priority. Otherwise, the conversation I had with you about keeping everybody on and making yeah. sure that that you know that we, it would be a different conversation. So there the, there is a price to pay, and if it's county championship, um, I, I would rather I would rather it be the county championship than having to lay people off that is the last thing we want to do
3: yeah it gives kids you know young players because let's be fair the county championship is where the young players young players are going to make their their name in the game and you know fingers crossed we do have a county game if not potentially that white ball cricket will keep them in jobs for next year to get their their county game and and speaking about the the county game and the, the game of cricket um there's been talk of playing cricket behind closed doors and you know, it is possible you can play and keep a distance sort of from each other there's mm-hmm. many times and many people I'd love to have kept the distance from especially on a, on a <laughs> cricket field um, but Josh Butler came out on, uh, on Talk Sport this week and uh, said he would be a fan of it only
0: if it was on TV yeah well I, th- I think it would own, to be honest I think it would probably only happen if it was on TV to be honest because I think that's where the pressure would come so if, if Sky for argument's sake um, say, listen, um, we need a minimum of, you know, four test matches. We need a minimum of the one-day series against Australia. We need that content. Uh, otherwise, there may well be um, financial repercussions in terms of the broadcast deal. I think then um, you would definitely look at playing behind closed doors and producing that content for the TV viewers. Because from Sky's perspective, and I'm just thinking as a sports fan myself, um, I've not been able to watch any live sport on television. Um, it's killing me. Never mind mm. not watching live sport. So I've got to watch reruns of you bowling against the <laughs> windies and things like that, Harmy. Um, yeah, it's so... about
3: five stone difference now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I have to watch Marcus North bowl some extremely poor off spin against. There might England be six there. <laughs> but anyway, I think the point is that I reckon Sky would break all their view. As soon as they show some live sport, whether it be a live test match behind closed doors or a yeah. one-day international, they get five million people watching. Um, so so there, is, there is upside in some of this stuff in terms of getting something on behind closed doors. But at the end of the day, it'll be a government advice situation that I think. If they say, listen, as long as you follow strict, strict protocols... You can get a game on behind closed doors. Um, we may well have to do that to get that content for the broadcasters. And I'm pretty sure that's what the Premier League are thinking about now. They are, I'm, I'm certain they're working through that because they've got exactly the same problem.
3: Well, Tim, thanks very much for joining us. Um, I, I really appreciate it. And I, I do I, I wholeheartedly wish you well. Um, not, only, not just because it's, it's Durham and it's my county, but everybody in your position, Your fingers crossed, you can keep uh, the wolf from the door and we can get this great game playing again very, very soon.
0: Thanks very much. Thanks, Army. Appreciate it. Cheers.
2: More to come on the Cricket Collective with Steve Harmison in conversation with Durham's first team coach, James Franklin.
4: Gone a long way,
0: James Franklin. Yes. Oh, that's a big shot from Franklin. That's all his power into that shot, into the stands. Awful toss, and bye-bye. Look at the contact. Hello, hello. Who's gonna catch this? Gone.
2: We're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. I'm John Norman and still to come, Durham's Director of Cricket, Marcus North, on the challenges being posed to players, especially overseas ones, with the coronavirus delaying the start of the season and throwing people's livelihoods into question. Also, top New Zealand cricket writer Andrew Alderson on whether the problems affecting UK cricket will be mirrored here in New Zealand. But first, let's get back to Steve with Durham's first team coach, James Franklin
3: well James you know, you're in, uh, coach of Durham County Cricket Club um, it was a fa- I thought it was a fantastic year for you last year uh, what's happened with the club over the last few years finishing fifth in the in Division two County championship but always you know always in with a sniff of potentially getting getting promotion. Um, and I was inv- I was watching a, a few of the, the 2020 games, and you finished sixth in the in the North table. But you were you were right in it at the end. Yeah, you know, how you feel you know, last year went coming into this year? You must have been buzzing, thinking right, well, let's get to Zimbabwe, hit the season running, and then this has just knocked you back a little bit.
5: Yeah, very much so, Harvey. Um Yeah, we've had a we've had a really good winter. Um, the boys have have trained unbelievably hard and um, applied themselves not only to improving their cricket skills um, but the, the application in terms of trying to improve their, their strength, their fitness work has been outstanding. So I couldn't have asked for anything more from, from the playing group. And, yeah, obviously very disappointed as I guess a lot of sports people are around the world with obviously what's what's going on us. Um, But it's obviously a much bigger issue than, than sport and cricket. Um but, yeah, just to go back to the first part of your question, I think last year um, was a really good year for me coming in first year, sort of in a coaching capacity and, and sort of observing the group and, and how individuals work when things are going well and when things aren't going so well. I was thinking after the first four games, it could be a really long season. We lost <laughs> our first four championship games. Um, but credit again to, to the group, the wider group as well, because we used. 25 or 26 players in first-class cricket that they were able to respond to that that poor start and, and turn the ship around. And we actually got on a bit of a run through the mid-part of the season and, and didn't lose a game for for eight games and got ourselves into a prospect of, of potentially getting promoted, um, which wasn't to be. We, we sort of fell short with a couple of games to go. But um, there was really good improvement in championship cricket, which was great to see through the season. Um, and then... The T20 stuff, yeah, we came sixth, but you know, if we'd won a game or two more, we we probably would have been in the playoffs. But you know, we're probably not the only team that could say that. There was probably a few other teams around the country, and the games we lost were were probably our own fault that we let ourselves down. So, um, again, a lot of good things to to look at and improve on, and, and know that we can be better and um, compete uh, better again once we do get playing cricket again. Um, and obviously the one-day stuff, um, we we were a decent team in one-day cricket last year in the Royal London 50. Over. We, uh, um, we got um, done by the weather a little bit with the last two rounds being cancelled for us due to rain, and, and that sort of cost us a, a position in the playoffs. So all in all, I think first year in coaching this, this Durham team was, was an exciting year. Uh, a lot of improvements and good progress, and as I said, you know, the winter's been great and, yeah, just really, really frustrated um, with the current situation. But, you know, there's, as I said, bigger things in sport at the moment to worry about.
3: Yeah, there are. And, yeah, how do you keep your players going? You know, the season, you, you feel as though it's upon you, you can feel it. And then, you know, the the unknown of, of not uh, when it's going to start. You've got a lot of young players, a lot of young players to try and keep them. Fresh and focused, but also, you know, stimulated to make sure that you know when it does get a
5: date, you you are ready to go. Yeah, that's that's the tricky part of it. Um, is um, you know, we've we've got a little bit of um, line in the sand from the ECB coming out um, back in the last week and saying at the moment, May 28th is a date that us as professional cricketers, um, professional bodies, can sort of start to work towards. Um, that date may or may not shift. I th- I think they've got another meeting um, about May 28th, sort of in mid-April, to see if that is still an appropriate date or not. Um, So we'll we'll firstly work off that. At the moment, all the guys uh, are training. Um, They're keeping their strength up. They're keeping their fitness up. Our our, uh, lead strength and conditioner um, trainer, Sam Clark, is posting some Good videos on our WhatsApp groups um, to, to keep the guys motivated in terms of how they can keep their fitness up. In terms of cricket, we, we, we're really limited, obviously, um, in terms of facilities that we can use, and, and we can't really train together because, again, that's not really. Done. So we'll just take a break from cricket for, for the next week or two, most likely. Um, and then once we can sort of get a green light to potentially get together again in, in smaller groups uh, whenever that is appropriate we'll, we'll look to do that um, but we don't know the rules right? and and that's that's the point I think as a society we don't really know the rules, we're sort of getting told new ones every day or every other day and we've got to do the right thing um, by society not, not just by cricket so um, whilst you think of your winter and, and as I said we've been uh, outstanding through the winter in terms of our preparation, um, we've got to we've got to go with the flow. It's a very fluid situation this one, and we have just got to try and be ready individually. That when we get the, when we get the green light to be able to get back together, that we're kind of in some sort of shape to be able to crack on and hopefully um, play some cricket at some point in the summer ahead. And the the
3: challenge of 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 a head coach. I know you get a lot of stuff taken off you by by Marcus North. Um, who we're also mm-hmm. going to hear from, um, but the players' welfare in this situation must be must be a massive thing for you as a head coach and a learning curve for yourself as a as a as a young coach, as a new coach coming into the game. Because, like I mentioned before, you have got a lot of young players, and in this situation, mm-hmm. them young players will probably and it and it's and it's only it's only human to be thinking, well, what if the season goes this two months? What happens if it goes three months? if county cricket's not out, am I going to have a job? I'm just a young lad. I'm trying to, and on a no fault of my own, I might not be, I might not have the chances I get. How challenging is that as a young coach?
5: Hugely challenging. Um, because again, I, I, I don't know what the right outcomes are. And, and these are all, you know, pertinent questions that you raise that I think, um, given time and, and how long this pandemic goes on, w- we won't know the answers to. Um, you know, you think about guys that live by themselves that, you know, we've got a couple of guys that their origins are elsewhere in the world. So, majorities of their families are elsewhere in the world, you know. So, they're, they're here, they're away from their uh, wider families, you know, they're potentially living by themselves, um, there's isolation, um, your mind starts to wander like you're saying, you know, you've, you've you've done all you can through the winter and then this this gets kind of taken away from you with with um, this pandemic in terms of your job and um, yeah you start to I guess stew within your own mind about you know what's going to happen some guys are in the last year of last year's yeah. of their contracts um, it's a, it's a really tricky one and, and you know as dome um, as uh, cricket um, sport we're not alone um, you know it's all wide lines of industry with people with their jobs and stuff that everything's pretty vulnerable at the moment. So, um, yeah, I think it's important from our point of view and what we can control is just um, trying to keep consistent uh, messaging out to our group um, in terms of, you know, what's happening, um, what we're looking to do, um, just keep updating them and and keeping them, I guess, motivated to want to um, keep training and and keep being ready.
3: And Joss Butler... Um, you know, England's World Cup wicketkeeper. He's been on Talksport talking about playing behind closed doors, but only on TV. Um, do you think that's a good thing? You know, because there are you know, I made the joke before. You know, there's people I, whenever I play cricket, there's people I just didn't want to get anywhere near. Of and, and you can, you can keep yourself away from each other. Um, yeah. But is it a, is it something that? You think could be you know the the first step of getting back to, to to playing sport again by playing behind closed doors on TV because the game of cricket is quite unique in a way where you can keep a distance from each other.
5: Yeah, you can. I, I, to be honest, Hammy, I, mean, I haven't really given that much thought. Um, I think it just depends how much of the season we can actually potentially get in if we've only got. let's say, two or three months worth, then, yeah, why not? Why can't we get as much as we can on TV? It would um, obviously mean (coughs) you can keep some sort of social distancing in place in terms of crowd factor. Um, And also, as you rightfully say, with cricket, we're not uh, arm-in-arm the whole time playing this sport. Quite often, there's at least 10 or 15-minute gap between players most of the time. So, um, potentially, yeah, that is a scenario that I could see um, would be a positive, but... Again, we don't know how long this is going to last. The whole season might be going for all we yeah. know. We just, we just don't know how this is going to play out. And so um, scenarios, I'm sure the ECB will be starting to draw them up now in terms of if the season starts May 28, this is how it looks. If it starts June 30, if it starts July 31st, all these different uh, starting points, they'll work out how much cricket we can potentially get in, what competitions we can play, what competition might need to be left for a year. Um, and then, you know, what games get put on TV? Do we put them all on or do we only put half of them on? So until we until we know actually when we can all come out of our holes and start <laughs> playing again, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a little bit pie in the sky in terms of what ifs.
3: Well, when we do, I uh, wish you well, not just because you're a coach of my, like that, fantastic club but i do wish you well and uh, in the season when it does eventually start good luck james
5: all right cheers hammy appreciate it thank you
2: still more to come on the cricket collective you're listening to talk sports
0: ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments
2: England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. He's tried
4: to leave that and he's got it through the gap and there it is. Gareth Breeze scores the winning runs. It's a magical end to his career. with Durham and Ben Stokes who's played such a key part in this late season revival, hugs his man all day played in the gloom here at Lord's, but Durham are the champions.
2: You're listening to Talk Sport 2 and uh, The Cricket Collective, broadcasting every Tuesday evening between six and seven o'clock in the evening. And now an in-depth interview between Steve Harmison and Durham Director of Cricket, Marcus North.
3: Well, Marcus, the challenge of the modern-day Director of Cricket... Um, you know, looking at bringing you know, the squads together, managing sort of budgets, working with CEOs, you know the overseas players, you know academies and things like that. You know the the challenges, but the biggest challenge must be at this moment in time the the, the well-being of your of your team, your your club, because you know you you have to make the decisions on young players and contracts, or whether you get a contract, whether not getting a contract how you know, how do you how do you manage that at this moment in time because there's people work so hard players sorry players work so hard in the in the winter months who potentially could go to the last year of their contract and,
1: at no fault of their own being quite vulnerable yeah very much very good points that harmy um, it's it's at, i don't have the answers for that yet <clears throat> um, obviously this this situation that we're all facing um, globally um, certainly when it comes down to a director of cricket role, it's certainly not in the job description, I can tell you. Um, <clears throat> but I guess from a the foremost, the most important thing at the moment is is kind of managing everyone's expectations. Um it's it's more around player well being. Now these guys have worked tirelessly over the, the, the last several months in preparing for a season that at the moment is is postponed indefinitely well until the twenty eighth of, of May. But I'm sure that will be assessed on a on a weekly if not daily basis so um, you know our planning was outstanding you know from Frankie and I to all the coaching and the players in you know, the last few months has been absolutely brilliant in preparation for the season um, and then you, you get something that you completely um, inexperienced at you know, none of us experience this situation and we've got to manage that expectation where these guys are going full polt and and now that they're, they're literally down tools because you know, we're pretty much as a society in in isolation. So it's very much just communicating with the players um, as we know things are changing on a daily basis and and just trying to keep them informed and and making sure they're okay. And I think once the weeks kind of go by, we get a bit more of an understanding of the landscape and we can make some some good decisions around that to see, you know, if there is a chance to play some cricket this summer and how we we build in a, a kind of return to training and return to play mode. Um, until we figure that out, Harmy, you know, talking about contracts and people in their last year, it's mm. it's it's feel, it feels pretty much impossible to kind of even think about that at the moment. I think we've just got to see what the the landscape looks like over the coming months, and and hopefully, we're, as we are praying that we can get through this and 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 have some cricket towards the back end of the summer.
3: Yeah, it does seem you know pretty harsh talking about you know that. The, that element of the of the job, and, but it, it is it is what comes with being, you know, being a director of cricket. And you talk about communications. How's the communication going with, you know, the the other 17 counties and the ECB about the challenges that that they're having as well?
1: Yeah, very much so. And it, you know, we we all have some contacts and and people we know a little bit better within the circuit we talk to. But you know, the ECB over the last week have have been good. I mean, they've got a tremendously difficult job to play in this part of you know, having another number of different scenario options of what the season might look like. You know, that they've they're virtually um you know, have got to support the game in a whole financially. Um, you know, how, how the, the this season pans out is gonna affect different counties and different business models in a lot of different ways. Um, so yeah, look it it's the communications there, but I guess it feels like you have a a pretty pretty good strategic meeting in where you're at. Um, and put some plans in and then two days later they're they're kind of they've expired because you know things have changed whether it's from government direction or from the ECB so it's a very fluid situation I think that's you know as an administrator or certainly at Darren's point of view we're just got to kind of roll it out over the coming days and, and continue to try and make good decisions with all the information at hand.
3: And you, you know you mentioned uh, having different different players and different conversations and you've got overseas players you know Cameron Bancroft you know, I'll talk about Cameron in a minute but you know the, the, the likes of uh, Benningham and, and berhard Dean two players you've signed from overseas uh, on whatever it's a coal pack or the you know, how do you manage People like that because they've got you've got players, young players that are from Durham. You've got players who are maybe from Nottingham, from London, who could potentially nip home. But these guys are on the other side of the world. Are like yourself. You you are from you know you're from Australia. Frankie's from James Franklin's from New Zealand. You know, yeah. How do you manage people like that? Because you know we are we are working in sport, but this is
1: this is about human beings. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's far bigger than the the game of cricket or sport. And I think with those, you got to treat them individual cases very much that way um you know if, if there comes a discussion where a player feels he's he's better option is, is going back to his homeland well then that's a discussion and and, and common sense will prevail and will support players that, that, that potentially want to do that um you know players within our squad that might be from other parts of the country you know virtually we're in from a cricketing point of view we're not going to be doing any training they've got their own physical. Um, you know things to do at home, whether it's in the back garden or what have you, or down the park. Um, you know, that, and that's pretty much all they can do. So if some of these guys want to go back to their parents' house that live, you know, for example, in Kent or Southampton, well, then, you know, I'd rather them do that and be yeah. in, a, in a in a safe environment than be stuck in a one-bedroom or two-bedroom apartment. So, yeah, look, I think there's a bit of common sense, and that goes back to what I originally said about just maintaining that communication with the players. To make sure their well-being is good, you know. I think you know, I, Army we've got kids and family, and you know, it's tough enough when you've got that home base. Let alone thinking of what it'd be like to be in an apartment exactly. um, by myself or, or with another player. So, you know, that that's really important that we make sure that those those guys are in the in the best best situation possible during this this tough time.
3: And I've asked uh, I've asked you know uh, Tim Bostock I've asked James Franklin Josh Butler was on talk sport uh, this week talking about games being behind played behind closed doors and you know only and he said only if it's on TV and I'm sure there's uh, I'm sure you've you've played in, in stadiums where there isn't that many people and the game of cricket is a little bit unique where you you are you don't have to be you know arm in arm as, as James Franklin said you're not close proximity to others do you think the game of cricket could start um, behind closed doors and then as you know the the epidemic gets you know it, it starts to die down a bit you know we get the game back
1: yeah look I think we've seen other codes you know have have different types of uh, of opportunities where they've played behind closed doors football did it and that didn't last very long we, we know back in australia that the Aussie Rules football and, and rugby league were played behind closed doors, but now that that stopped, I think I think once we get gu- guidance from the government that you know that that kind of environment from a playing point of view um, is safe for the players, um, you know, I, I think the way it's going, I'd support you know playing some cricket behind closed doors if it if it was safe for the players and staff to to get some cricket on, um, even if it was on on broadcast. You know, that's something to watch. I mean, I, mm. you're talking about Sky Sports. I'm watching reruns of all sorts of stuff at the moment. There's not a lot going on. so. Well, I, I, have I, think... you, I have to tell you, <laughs> Northy,
3: I have to be honest there. Uh, um, in the conversation with the chief exec, that he did oh, mention, nice. mention talking about me be watching reruns of me. And I did say I was about five stone a bit heavier. And then he did mention your name. And I did have a little bit of a dig at you as well. Because we, we have put on a little bit since we finished.
1: Yeah, we have. Yeah, we've been in a good paddock, Hammy. I must admit, <laughs> it's <laughs> lovely in the northeast, isn't it?
4: <laughs> I was stunned. That was my first reaction. I pick up the phone, like a lot of people do in the morning. I, I just couldn't believe
5: what I saw. I saw an opportunity to potentially use some use some tape, get some um, granules from the you know from the rough patches on the wicket, and and try to
0: change the ball condition obviously as clear as day what's happened it's, it's not right I don't care who you are you can't tamper with the ball it's Australia yet again they seem totally out of
2: control it's blatant cheating okay. it's disgraceful it's not accepted by anyone and particularly in Australian we've got the best bowling attack in the world we don't need to cheat to beat okay.
1: anybody I'm not proud of of what's happened um you know it's not within the spirit of the game, um, my integrity, the team's integrity.
5: I suppose there is a tiny ray of hope that I may one day be given the privilege of playing for my country again. But I am re- resigned to the fact that that may never happen.
2: To see the way my old man's been. Thanks
5: everybody. It's, it
2: hurts. Steve Smith is such a lovely lovely guy you can see there he's just shattered you know i just i i, I really feel sorry for him.
5: look i'm a believer in in sport especially if you if you give it then you've you've got to take it sometimes haven't you? i did a podcast for durham
3: a couple of years uh, last year with cameron bancroft who's durham's overseas and we're talking about durham and it's two years i think it's two years today since you know as the court sam paper get how do you think yep. Cameron has come out of it? The other side, he did a great podcast and he was really honest. And if anybody wants to listen to it, go to to Durham Cricket Club's podcast because it is out there, and he, he's very, very honest and open with me. How do you think Cameron has dealt with this, the the situation? And also, Australian cricket.
1: Yeah, look, I think I think there's yeah, it's been a bit of water under the bridge, and mm. since that that moment in South Africa, and you know, if I'm a an ex player, but also you know, someone that's. Um, closely follows Australian cricket. Um, you know, I feel that they've come a long way, a, a long way. And there's a documentary, um, you know, on a certain streaming channel, which is kind of a behind-the-scenes over the last couple of years showing that journey. I think it's a fantastic insight to the Australian cricket team and, and how they're kind of conducting things. It was natural as well, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And I think we've seen, you know, the Man City ones. I think Sunderland did one. There's a number of... Um, sporting codes or teams that have had that kind of behind the scenes. And I think it was. It was natural. And you know that, Harmy for yeah. being in a cricket environment. Um, you know, I thought it was excellent. So, look, I think Australia's come a long way. I think Bancroft has learnt a lot about himself through that journey. He led you well in, last year, in, didn't he? he? Yeah, I was incredibly impressed with how he how he came over and influenced, You know, in, I guess, the dressing room and the way he conducted himself and played. We all wanted to see the guy. You always want to see guys succeed, but did he get back in the Australian team? Maybe a bit prematurely. Maybe um, didn't. You know, got a couple of opportunities, and then you know his form in four day cricket has, has struggled in Australia, where he actually found himself out of the Western Australian team at the back end. Um, you know, but his one day form and his T twenty form for the Scorchers was excellent. And speaking to him, sometimes you just have those seasons in Australia or any any season really. When you're playing, you have those those moments where you just can't get it to click. Mm. Um, but he he's well, you know, up until a few weeks ago, I was looking forward to that kind of line in the sand, jump on the plane, um, you know, fly up to the UK and, and and start afresh. And I have no doubt that when Cameron does come back, he'll he'll be in a good frame of mind and, and perform well. Um, when that will be, I'm not too sure. But he's he's on a bit of a holding pattern himself. Still in Perth. Um, there was no point of, of getting him over in, in the circumstances now. So, again, we'll just we'll just play it by ear. And,
3: Northie, like I said to Tim and like I said to Germs, I wish you all the best because, you know, that great county, Durham, like to see them back at the top where they belong. And uh, fingers crossed when the cricket does start,
2: things start moving in the right direction for the club. Thanks, Harmie. Stay Thanks. safe, mate. Still more to come on the Cricket Collective. You're listening to Talk Sport 2. <laughs> welcome back to the cricket collective here on talk sport two and a big thanks to steve harmison Tim Bostock, James Franklin, and Marcus North uh, for a fascinating look at day-to-day life within a county, and a one that uh, possibly isn't uh, doesn't sit alongside the likes of Surrey and Yorkshire in terms of finances, and one that has been hit so hard in recent years um, with uh, restrictions put on the amount of money they can spend, points deduction, and the like. And now here comes the coronavirus, just to make things even more difficult. Uh, you might uh, be picking up the sound of the wind. Um, whipping it along the microphone that's because uh, I'm outside the uh, New Zealand uh, building the uh, radio sport buildings here in Auckland uh, because essentially I'm not allowed in uh, this is uh, this is where we've got to uh, lockdown here in Auckland uh, get there's got underway it means only essential personnel can get in and out of uh, certain buildings um, but that hasn't stopped me I'm glad to say I'm joined by Andrew Alderson cricket writer for the new zealand herald um but yeah i mean look, here we are here we are sheltering from the wind lockdown imminent um and yet 10 days ago we new zealand were playing australia in a in a one-day international in sydney in front of empty stadiums i mean the speed of change must have uh, surprised uh, yourself um especially when you consider where we were and where we are now and it's happened so quickly
4: Absolutely, John, you know, and pleased, pleased to join you outside the building here as uh, the autumn takes hold in New Zealand, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, you'll learn the, w- the ways with uh, you know your warmer clothes as, as time goes on, and you're, you're ensconced here, but indeed, I couldn't believe it. I was just looking back over time and just how quickly that has evolved in the last you know, less than two weeks in New Zealand. Yeah, you know, They were playing in front of an empty stadium at the Sydney Cricket Ground. They probably got themselves out of a tight spot over the course of the series in a way, but in all seriousness, it's just... Uh, Evolved so much, so quickly, and now New Zealand—that's—that uh, completes their summer. That all those games are called off with Australia coming back home, uh, or coming back to New Zealand to play, and and uh, the Chapel Hadley series called off, and it's put some perspective on things.
2: I was interested to see, and of course, I'm not going to try and make a comparison between the Plunkett Shield, the New Zealand four-day domestic tournament here, and the uh, the EFL, the Premier—not EFL—the uh, EPL, the Premier League, but. The decision was made, Wellington are champions, that's it, let's move on. Let's let's work out what we're doing next season. You know, I guess in a way that's probably how most sports codes should be looking at things. Yeah, it was immediate and it was
4: uh, decisive, and I thought that was good. And that's been been pretty much the case across most codes uh, in New Zealand. I mean, rugby has been trying to work out another competition if they could put one together, given uh, they had to put Super Rugby to one side. Uh, but cricket in particular, the Plunkett shield. Wellington named champions there. The only downside was that they were named in absentia, if you like, it was, it was decided that they were going to be the champions and they couldn't actually celebrate the title, although they probably did so uh, in a manner of uh, whether they do it online or something of that nature. They, they certainly probably opened a bottle or two to, 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 to celebrate what uh, was their first victory in, in the four-day title for, uh, for 16 years. But, uh, yes, it was immediate, and uh, therefore uh, they can move on, as you say. And and New Zealand's got a few tours uh, mid-year, but they're still some way off. I mean, Bangladesh in in August, they've got one before that. Uh, June, July, they're going, uh, I think, West Indies, Scotland, Netherlands and Ireland, which is quite an interesting combination. Uh, The White Ferns were going to to Sri Lanka in May, uh, but all those things can be put off and and expenses can be saved uh, in the meantime if, if there's some silver lining from this
2: just been listening for the last uh while to James Franklin a, a fellow kiwi Marcus North and Aussie uh, and of course Tim Bostock with uh, Steve Harmison the the financial impact that the coronavirus is going to have on uh, county cricket in England you know could be really severe um now of course we are entering the winter here in New Zealand but you know this is not something that's going to be going anytime soon um, would there be a financial implication or what kind of financial implication can you see if the coronavirus is still a problem when cricket resumes here in New Zealand in a few months time I'll be missing I think and just it's how
4: you deal with the players and the salaries of the players and whether they'll have to take a cut in that regard uh, there's so many variables to it, New Zealand do have time up their sleeve now I think with, I think the next series at home I think will be scheduled for around about November. Uh, post, I mean, World T20. It's going to play on on that as well as to whether the World T20 goes ahead down this part of the world. Uh, but I think that uh, yeah, that's that's going to be something that, uh, a bridge they're going to have to cross. It's going to be difficult to deal with 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 how they approach that from here on in especially with the change in the, in the media environment as well uh, the rights are not with Radio Sport for the radio as they have been in the past uh, they've moved from Sky Television to uh, Spark which is a, a big uh, telecommunications company in New Zealand now for, the, for the, uh, the visual side of it if you like through streaming etc uh, so there's lots of hurdles to cross there and, and now they're going to have to deal with it uh, in, in the framework
2: of the coronavirus which is uh, just complicates things even further it really is changing times, isn't it, for New Zealand cricket? As you mentioned, uh, Radio Sport, I suppose, are similar to the BBC, TMS, Test Match Special. They've they've hosted cricket for many, many years. You know, for Jonathan Agnew, reads Brian Waddell, um, for Jeffrey Boycott or Vic Marks, reads um, uh, Jeremy Coney. You know, you know, these are people uh, who are, who are linked. Um, they, they almost to the sport. They, so they almost trans, transcend the sport in a lot of regards. That's as things stand. That's going to go uh, and similarly with sky sports here reed ian smith for uh, for david bumble lloyd simon Dahl for Nasser. usain that's now going as well so uh, at a time when the broadcast landscape has changed so dramatically i suppose the coronavirus and the way that could affect the actual grassroots uh, cricket here because all recreational cricket's been banned here as well it couldn't have come at a worse time
4: that's right, it's going to be a real difficulty for them to cross when they come to that. I mean, given that they have got some some time to plan now, I suppose, but still, they'll still they be putting in place you know, operational systems, they'll be putting in place their commentary teams in that uh, interim. Um, but, but as you mentioned too, the... Uh, the nature of the game here with, with all it's, it's just such a wider aspect to it given that I know just my son's cricket he, it was his first season of cricket as a six year old uh, this year that's all been finished now and, and, and wrapped up and if you, if you translate that or extrapolate that out across all grades it's just this, this massive full stop to the season, it's something that we've never experienced before. So I think that uh, yeah, there's a lot of questions to be asked and, and answered, uh, and at least they have some time to do that now to, to actually prepare uh, for what's going to be ahead uh, come come 2020 and
2: 2021. Going back to that game at the SCG, I'm sure you followed it, um, as I did. We mentioned it on the Cricket Collective last week, actually. I was listening to Radio Sports commentary. and I mean, of all the games to finish up on, if, if that is to be it for commentary on Radio Sport, I couldn't think of a worse one, essentially. <laughs> Sound of, you know, Brian Waddle and, uh, and the team uh, commentating to silence, in essence. But listening to what Tim Bostock had to say, Chief Executive at Durham and James Franklin and Marcus North, and listening to what and reading what the ECB back home are suggesting, behind closed doors cricket may actually be the only way of satisfying the requirements of the broadcasters. So this actually could be the way cricket is around the world for the foreseeable. It it seems it's either that or no cricket at all. That's the dreadful
4: conclusion I've made too, is that it's because you have to satisfy those broadcasting demands and because of the money involved that may be the only solution. And uh, the shame of it is, I mean, we, we all know that's that's part of the fun of the cricket is actually being able to go along and barrack and to be able to absorb a day's cricket, being at the ground, uh, in or out of the sun, whatever your preference is, and be able to, you know, I guess uh, deliberate these things over, over the course of a day and that'll be taken away albeit you'll be able to do it from your sofa at home or, or wherever um, but uh, with the coronavirus situation too you know would you be able to congregate to do that or do you just have to watch it in uh, your lonesome and your lazy boy or something of that nature so I think there's so many different uh, ways we're going to have to re-look at this and, and uh, scrutinise it
2: over time John. And looking outside of cricket, because, of course, this is rugby country. Back home, you could say it's football country. It's a, I guess the same conversations are, are taking place in regard to rugby. I mean, what kind of, there's a lot more money involved in rugby, just like there's a lot more money involved in football. Are the same conversations taking place in regards to that sport? I mean, I'm all right saying that the, the NRL, I think it's that the National Rugby League, I'm kind of guessing, that, that was playing very recently, wasn't it? That, and there was a lot of criticism about that.
4: Oh there was, the the, the NRL, the, the Rugby League has just uh, finished yesterday, they've suddenly done a complete 180 on it and decided that uh, they were adamant uh, the day before that they were going to continue on and push for the season, so much money on the line there over the course of the season, they're saying if they had to cancel I think it was going to cost something in the vicinity of uh, 500 million New Zealand dollars, uh, not quite sure what that translates to in terms of pounds, uh, but uh, then the... the Super Rugby as well, the actual Rugby Union, I mean that's on ice too and they were hoping to develop a perhaps have some local derbies in New Zealand between the, the five franchises that play in that wider league. Uh, but, uh, of course, with the, the current uh, protocols and, and having to shut down now, everyone going into lockdown uh, as of tomorrow, uh, that's not going to be possible either. So they're just going to have to uh, recalibrate. I think they're hoping at the moment they might get on the field for the All Blacks on July 4th against Wales at Eden Park. Uh, but every chance that that's going to be called off from here on in soon they'll have to, again look further ahead and I mean and you only have to add the Olympics to the argument as well All athletes preparing for that qualification periods it's just the tentacles of the coronavirus beast have just uh, entrapped everything out there it's just it's the silent enemy that we just can't uh, I guess uh, defeat
2: uh, very quickly put it that way until the vaccine's found. Andrew thanks so much for joining me we're uh, we've been at arm's length pretty much for this entire interview um, that pretty much brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening to The Cricket Collective. You can download the podcast. Just subscribe to the following on podcast and it will drop into your feed. It's really, the wind is really whipping up here. What better time to uh, to call things uh, short? Next week, an interview. Barry Wilkinson, Barbadian broadcasting legend, in conversation with the West Indies Test Captain Jason Holder. That should be absolutely fascinating. Thanks for listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2.